You're listening to Holy Family Parish in Hanover, Ontario, Canada. We're so glad you could join us for this presentation. For more podcasts and video, and to learn more about us, visit our website at holyfamily.ca. Welcome to Thursday Night Appetizer. It is Thursday night, and I'm not lying this time. It's the truth. Um, Deacon Charles and I are pulling a what? Pulling our hair out. At least he is. We're pulling. We're both pulling his hair out. Um, <laughs> hey, welcome everyone. Sam and I are glad to be here. Yeah, it's, we're so happy uh, you it is Thursday us. evening. We tried to record Thursday afternoon, and the technology failed because of lack so of charging. We're trying again. Welcome. And um, I. You know, it's probably a good thing. I'm in a much better mood now than you I'm are. In. So am I. That's it's it's being with people. It's being with. We were chatting with our friends Jordan and Katrina, mm-hmm. and uh, they were very. They had a lot of serious things to say to us that we need to listen to and pay attention to. But mm-hmm. they're also very uplifting because, like, we're trying to be there. De- definitely dedicated to following Jesus and not just talking about that, but showing it. And that's right. That's that was kind of inspiring and encouraging for us. Indeed it was. Yeah. Well, I don't think we should waste too much time because we are on a schedule here. But um, yeah. again, we're glad you could join us. We've got a, a theme going on right now called Journey to the Cross, Through the Labyrinth of Life to the Hope of Easter. Wow, is life ever a labyrinth? So many twists and turns and unexpected events and challenges and mm-hmm. ups and downs and lefts and rights that we face. Uh, but the the cross, Jesus is calling us to, to meet him there. And uh, yeah. Yes. Just today, I've experienced so many ups and downs, Sam, and, and uh, I got here at Holy Family uh, around 1.30, and it's been uh, nonstop excitement. It's been like a roller coaster. Yep. A labyrinth, as we were talking or about. Or a labyrinth, yeah. Yeah, so for me too. I'll, I'll jump into the background for this week. This coming, <laughs> this coming um, Sunday, there's a famous saying you might have heard, which is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, which comes from the events described in the passage we're looking at from John chapter 8. In the backgrounder, I'm just going to go over uh, a few of the things that, that are sort of the context for this passage, which is, first of all, as, as our theme indicates, Jesus is journeying to the cross. And as he does, he's facing increasing, th- increasing threats. And this, this week, we're going to see a confrontation between Jesus on the one hand and the scribes and Pharisees on the other. Really a trap closing around him. But at the same time, what is happening is also part of his, his father, God the Father's plan of mercy for all people. So there's a woman caught in adultery, and she's in a miserable state. And she's dragged before Jesus, and that, at that moment, she's facing death. But she's also destroyed her own life, and she's partly responsible for that. She's betrayed her, ha- her husband and her family, um, but she's also facing shame. She's placed in the middle of the people, a uh, crowd of people there the condemnation of the authorities who are judging her according to the law. According to them, she deserves death by stoning. Ugh. Yeah. Nasty. So how does Jesus see this woman? Like this, let's just step back and say, how does Jesus see this woman? He sees a beloved daughter of God made in God's image. He also knows the truth about her adultery. He doesn't pretend that she's innocent. 
So how will Jesus show respect for the law while fulfilling his mission of mercy? That's kind of the, the dilemma they're, they're kind of forced around Jesus. And, uh, you know, even before answering that question, I think it would be good for all of us to see ourselves as represented by this woman. She represents us because we're all separated by sin from God. And all of us face accusers, inner accusers and outer accusers who want our harm. And we're, we're, this, is the, this is the thing, maybe hard to wrap your mind around, but think about this. We are without any way of getting out, out of this predicament that we're all in. Try as we might, I would say, we are as desperate as this woman described in this incident. It's only God who has the power to set us free, and that is the basis for Jesus' response. First, he challenges the accusers, reminding them that they are also sinners, all of them. So none of them are pure enough to stand in judgment over this woman. And then after they leave, Jesus turns to her with mercy. He refuses to condemn her. He who is judge of the living and the dead. And finally, Jesus sends her on her way, telling her not to sin again. She is free. She has experienced God's mercy. But for Jesus, the journey continues. The trap which would have destroyed this woman has been foiled. But his, his journey to the cross goes on. This time he will pay the price with his life. He will redeem us all and he will set us all free. He will show us all God's mercy, just as he showed mercy to this woman in this situation. That's how amazing God's love for each one of us is and for all of us is. And I just hope and pray that all of us whose lives have been transformed by God's mercy will freely share the divine gift of salvation with each person we encounter, each person who is burdened and trapped whom we meet on our journey of life. And that's our backgrounder for this week, Sam. Great. Okay, I'll open us up with a prayer then. In the yep. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for this day. A very windy day, but we're so grateful, Lord, for the arrival of spring and for the new life that is around us in the natural world. We're also so grateful for the new life which you bestow upon us, for the mercy and the forgiveness that you pour out upon us though we are sinners, though we are all in the same boat as the, uh, the woman today in the story. Um, we're so grateful for your mercy, your gift, your gift of mercy to us. And you want us to live again. You want to bring us up from the dust, from the ashes, and help us to rise with you. And Lord, uh, we know that you're calling us in some way through this passage of Scripture today, calling us to follow you, calling us to become like you, and ultimately to, to the cross. It won't be an easy journey, but we know that you're with us each step of the way. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get to the reading. Reading time. It's from the Gospel of John. There's a switch. Mm-hmm. It's been Luke the whole time, right? It has been Luke the whole time, yeah. Yep. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they could have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he bent down and wrote on the ground, and in response, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on do not sin any more. I had the benefit of hearing this reading a little earlier, so mm -hmm. uh, I've had some time to reflect on it. And um, I'll say what I said earlier, which is beginning with the elders is what stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we've been running a program called Alpha here at the parish. And last night we had week three, which was the cross, the cross of Christ. And um, you know, at our table, we were talking a lot about forgiveness because one of the questions was, what does forgiveness mean to you? Mm -hmm. Kind of just an open-ended question, but that's maybe a great question. If you're, um, if you're listening or watching this, um, think about that. What does forgiveness mean to you? Yeah. I think it, the conversation focused on ways we need to be forgiven or things, how, you know, what it feels like to be forgiven, but also like what it, the need to forgive or the like sort of offering forgiveness to other people. And I guess what I was thinking about with the elders is that uh, in our conversation last night, it just occurred to me that it it doesn't really get any easier um, as you get older or sort of mature in your in in your relationship in your with Jesus in your faith. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been a Christian decades now, and I still feel like I'm just every bit as needy for. God's forgiveness, but also like, I find I still struggle with that, with that unforgiveness as well. Um, withholding it from others that, that I know have hurt me, you know, mm -hmm. it just doesn't get any easier. It's, it's always a struggle and always something that is almost supernatural, right? Yeah. One, one of the things that strikes me about the terrible thing that these men are doing to this woman is they have a point but the mm -hmm. way they're dealing with it is just wrong. And um, the phrase I focused on was where Jesus says to her, has no one condemned you? Hmm. Because interestingly, they, they didn't actually condemn the woman yet. They hadn't yet condemned her. They brought her to Jesus for kind of a, his rabbinic, like he, she was rabbi bait. teacher, right? She was bait for him. Right? right. But almost like they were almost submitting themselves to his judgment because they wanted to use his judgment as a way to trap him. But what he does is he basically focuses, I would say, on the way God would look at, does look at that woman, which is very different. Like, so they're not wrong that she's done something horrible, if we understand correctly the way that it's portrayed in this passage. Mm -hmm. She's unfaithful. She's destroyed her marriage and her family, not necessarily completely, but certainly harmed them, right? I mean, she's done something terrible. But it, what strikes me when he says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one says, then he says, neither do I condemn you. That is really God looking at each one of us and saying, has no one condemned you? And, and then God wants, just so much wants to say to us, neither do I condemn you. We, I mean, he really wants each person to hear that. 
that's a big deal. Um, because it's not because we haven't done anything wrong. It's because we've, well, like, the reality is we've all done little or big things that are wrong or harmful. And as you said, Sam, I don't think it stops, right? Like, mm-hmm. our, each of our responsibilities for, as you said, it doesn't get easier. The, 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 the longer in the faith does not mean your, our or my willingness to, like, ability to, to be unforgiving to people has stopped. Mm-hmm. Yes, an interesting point came out last night as well when we were talking about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness doesn't ignore the the fault. Right. And it can't. If you think about it, you can't actually forgive someone if what they did to you wasn't a big deal mm-hmm. or if they didn't hurt you or if you pretend they didn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. You can't actually forgive unless you feel and experience the hurt that they've caused you. Mm-hmm. So Jesus does the same thing. Um, ultimately, when we sin, we are sinning against God. Mm-hmm. Right, we are sinning against other people, but so she had sinned, like you said, against her family, against whatever the laws of marriage, whatever she had, yeah, yeah, failed at herself, yeah, as well. But she had also offended God, He is hurt by our sin in some way, if you'll allow me that. Theologically, sure, it's not a theological, theolog- <laughs> I'll say it's not a theological point, but no, but, it, but it's a good analogy, right? Well, it's a, it's right, a good analogy, right? right? Because and ultimately, because He wants our good, so mm-hmm. it's it's sort of we're we're letting him down in the sense that we are hurting ourselves when we sin and yeah. hurting other people um and he but he acknowledges so he acknowledges her sin Jesus does Jesus does yes obviously knows what it was mm-hmm. knows how terrible it was and but uh, you know doesn't condemn her neither do I condemn you mm-hmm. like you said we are that woman whenever we do something I was thinking all of us as humanity. As humanity that, as in well. In that situation. Uh, yeah, we're all but together us, in it, right? but also individually, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I've had trouble doing is if I know somebody who has done something really bad, even talking to them about it is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. if yeah. I feel like I need to talk to them about it. I know. Even little things that are like... It involves confrontation, and there's some. I, li- I like confrontation to some extent, but I really don't like having to deal with hard conversations. You know, but it's painful as well. Yeah, to re- you have to almost relive whatever it was. Well, I'm know? just thinking, even if I was an observer to like somebody I know doing something harmful to someone else, like, do how do I talk? Do I even have that conversation with that person? Mm-hmm. And obviously, with me as well. Like, if people talk to me. I think it's, it's, I, I never like hearing people, having people talk to me like that, but yeah. But I'm glad when they do. Mm-hmm. It's just so awkward. Yeah, like one is. of the things I was talking about actually earlier on today, but I will talk about it again is the power of shame. Like they're trying to shame this woman. Mm-hmm. The pub, like when they put her in the middle of the group, she was caught in the middle of the act of adultery. So we don't know what physical state she's in at that moment. We just Probably don't isn't know. wearing much. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, they're, nope. they're shaming her, right? They're dragging yeah. her to the streets, putting her in the middle of a crowd in front of Jesus, who's, and they're actually in the temple court, mm-hmm. which where she would be considered ritually impure. So they're bringing, it's, it's also about purity, which is a big deal. Purity and shame, they're very powerful things. Everyone can hate on her right. all at once. Yeah, and shame, shame is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It, and um, Another this this reminds me of another thing we were talking about last night, which is that, um, like shame keeps us from being forgiven mm-hmm. because we're afraid of 
the result of admitting our right. our fault. But it also um, there's also like a humility that we need before we can forgive hmm. someone. You know, um, I thought I thought that was so profound. That came from someone new to our community um, who talked about humility, like that you're actually like kind of letting go of something. You're sort of when giving you forgive, it up when, when you, you forgive. Forgiveness, yeah. And that, and it's so hard to do because it's like almost like you're you're letting it. I don't know. Like you're not you're not negating what the person did, mm-hmm. but you're like letting it go, right? And and you're you're also letting go a little bit of your pride, a little bit of your haughty. Mm-hmm. I've got this control over that person, or over, you know whatever it is that you're you're holding. To forgive is like to let go of that and like give it up. And it takes it takes humility. It takes like a we have to step outside of ourselves and sort of do the right thing, even though it's going to kind of cost us. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side, that shame that keeps us from going both to God, but to other people as well, when we've done something wrong is so powerful. Yeah. There's, there's also good shame though. Like I, I think I forget which, uh, which speaker it is, maybe Chris Stefanik or somebody that talks about shame as a gift as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the kind of shame that they were imposing on this woman was sort of more for them. Yeah. They were sort of, it was like a, like sport almost, it seems like. Um, but shame is a natural mechanism of ours to recognize when we've done something we shouldn't mm-hmm. or when we've done something terrible. Uh, it's a God-given it's gift. It's a God-given it's gift. To a certain point. Yeah. But then I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mm-hmm. think the devil uses shame to prevent us from- And being, it amps it up. Amps it up and, and says, look at you. You are, you are condemned, right? He's like, like the- Right. The leaders there, look what you've done. You mm-hmm. can't be forgiven. You're, you're going to be a prisoner to this. It and makes it, me think about those men, and they are men. That is significant in this dynamic. It's, it's a group of men who've got a woman in their power. It's like pretty ugly. <laughs> you know, in the, the, uh, the Life of Brian, Monty Python? I don't, but I've heard of it. You've never watched Life of Brian? No, I've never watched it. Oh, well, there's this great scene where they're going to stone a woman. Yeah. I think it might be this a reenactment. Based on this, sure. Kind of a banal reenactment of the scene, but yeah. there's a bunch of women there that have fake beards. So they can go to the stoning, <laughs> pretending to be men. Anyway, it's funny. Life of Brian. I'm stunned for a moment. <laughs> now, now I've recovered. Um, <laughs> there, there's, there's this idea of the scapegoat. It's actually in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is in the Old Testament. I think it's the book of Leviticus. It's a ritual, which the Jews actually did every year when they were wandering through, through the desert, uh, where the high priest would would pray over a goat which would be set loose in the desert as if to take away the sins of the people. And there's, there's a, a, an anthropologist who eventually became Catholic um, who used this idea of scapegoating as kind of understanding how humans work. That there's, I'm not sure I agree with his theory, but the idea is that think of these men as like every group of people has this argument, has tensions that build up mm-hmm. because they're like, there's a lot of envy and resentment within a group of people. So what they need to do this is an anthropological point of view, is like cast their feelings of resentment and, and their shame on someone else mm-hmm. so that they can relieve themselves of the pressure and say, yes. we as a group get to feel good because you, they're all pointing at this woman, you are bearing our shame. Exactly. So you're, when you're condemning someone else. A group, especially a group is condemning. Especially a group. You are, 
you are basically putting all the focus on them yep. for the, what they've done, yep. for their sins, and taking the focus off of yourself. That's right. And then what Jesus does when he writes in the ground, who knows what he's writing, um, you know, says basically, let those among you who are without sin, basically, whoever among you is on my level, mm -hmm. you get to throw the first stone, mm -hmm. right? No one is. So he's putting them all on her level. They, he like levels it out, basically that everyone here and I, I think this is this is maybe I feel like this is a hard thing for new people who are new to hmm. to come to terms with in a way. New Christians. New yeah, to yeah. New to because it's so easy to do what what the elders in the in this group did, right? Which is to point to someone else who's worse than you and say, "Look what they've done. That mm -hmm. makes me look better." But in reality, we are all worthy of condemnation. Like Jesus, even, even the idea of the we're crown, all deserving right? of condemnation, but Jesus puts us all on the same level in needing yeah. a savior, needing to be redeemed by the by the cross. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things is on, on this is this is also like a foreshadowing of his his own condemnation, right? Yeah, he's going to be condemned falsely, right? Right, the innocent victim, but he'll be condemned and, and condemned innocence condemned by the by the guilty. And the reality, <laughs> according to the Bible, is that. It's all of our, all of us who mm -hmm. have tried to place our sin on him. And he actually, though we can't do that, that you can't, I can't place my sin on Jesus, but he, even though I can't do that, he's accepted it. He takes it. He takes it. Second Corinthians 5. So he is the scapegoat. Right. He is the, he is the scapegoat. The and that's lamb. the whole point of this. This guy eventually became Catholic because he said, wait, th this, this is a, a recurring theme in like different different religions, different mythologies, and so forth. But the Bible, for the first time, vindicates the victim and says, no, no, this victim, Jesus in particular, is actually innocent. This is this this guy, René Girard's mm. his name, French French guy, who died a few years ago. But his point is like, this is actually what the Catholic Church would say, what Christians would say, is the innocent victim, Jesus. But we're, we, we have all collectively scapegoated him, and he's actually taken it on. And yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't reject the condemnation. Really, the only person who could throw a stone is Jesus, right. at us, right? Yeah, and all and of he's us. He's the one who takes on all of the all of the sin of sins of the world, and takes them away, right? Mm -hmm. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The right. lamb that was sacrificed for the, and the blood, pasted on the doorpost. That was know? in the Old Testament when the angel of death came over Egypt, mm -hmm. where the people of Israel were slaves. The blood on the doorpost signified that there would not be death in that in that household. A lamb was sacrificed in the place of the people, really, right. liter literally killed instead of everybody yeah. else. And the Jewish people kept that up for over a thousand years mm -hmm. until around the time of Jesus. And it was always a uh, pure and blemished, a pure and blemished lamb, the most firstborn. spotless firstborn lamb mm -hmm. they could find. Yeah, um, which is Jesus, the spotless lamb, right? I think it's it's wonderful to know that biblical background of what's going on here. Um, but also, I don't know. I just keep. There's also something really human going. I was going to say, like, I think shame is so paralyzing for people. Some people in particular. Um, but if it ever gets a hold of me, which it has occasionally in my life, it's the like the word I would use is the word par paralysis. I feel paralyzed when I feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. Like I can't move forward. I can't move backwards. I just feel so stuck and helpless. It, which like this woman in this in this. Well, it's so. Situation. I think it's. It's a sexual sin right. that she's committed. Yeah, and um, there's always it seems like there's always like ten times as much shame mm -hmm. associated with anything sexual mm -hmm. 
um, you know, for good reason. Yeah. But um, also because it's just like, there's like a taboo that's along with it and everything else. Humanly and also in terms of God's law. Right, right. Like it's just, and I, that you see that so often, just that is like the hardest thing when it, when it is a sexual sin or especially, you know, again, I'm thinking of Alpha. I don't know what's going on in people's lives, mm-hmm. but I know often it's, it's something that was done to them, you know? Yeah. And then there's, even though it doesn't make any sense that they should feel shame. That's right. People have been victimized. They do because they've been victimized, right? Yeah. And uh, it is so, so difficult. And one one of the things we, in our group anyway, this will come up later as we go journey through Alpha. I don't know why I'm talking about Alpha so much. I'm excited about it. Um, is that like, this actually is kind of impossible without mm-hmm. grace. Yeah. Right? Without, without God's grace, who could forgive and who could be forgiven? Right? Sure. The answer is no one. It's okay, so, I would so, like to, so hard. I would like to God. offer a suggestion which you can respond to about why you're talking about this, this conversation you had yesterday, which is the third yeah. Off a set of 12 or so? Uh, 11, yeah. 11? Yeah. Is, it's actually exciting to be with a group of people who are encountering God's mercy and even considering the possibility that there is actual forgiveness. There's actual mercy that we're not prisoners of our shame is exciting. Mm-hmm. Really exciting. Well, yeah, even just to say like, like uh, one of the participants said like, I'm going to be seeing this person at Easter. Mm-hmm. And it was like, they, they were... On their own, there wasn't suggested, you know, I think I need to move on this and forgive this person at Easter. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an enormous. And what they choose to do, that's step. only in three weeks, right? What, yeah. the, what, the, what actually happens in a person's but life? Even which to decide you're going to do that. Right, right. Like no, big, that, that's it step. itself. Yeah, and you know what I, I believe to be true, because I've seen it in myself, mm-hmm. felt it in myself, and seen it in other people, is you, when you're willing, when I'm willing to forgive, I'm setting myself free to some extent. When that, that's an act of, act of God's grace. Mm. Yep. I was harmed by someone else, but I'm willing to forgive. I remember this was pretty dramatic in my life. The details don't matter at this moment, but to forgive, there were two people in a situation. It was a really bad situation, and it was one of several people who were on the, on the receiving end. And I found, I, I prayed for like over a year to be able to forgive. And there was kind of a miracle that took place where these two people, it was a couple, they were talking about how they had a really tragic circumstance where they had a child born who died within, within a short time of birth. And the way they talked about this, obviously, obviously, you just have to hear these, me talk about that and realize there was so much suffering. Mm-hmm. And what I feel like was an act of God's grace is that they were willing to share that with the group. And it moved my heart, it melted my heart in that circumstance to say, okay, you should never have done and said the things you did to us a while ago, but you are people who have suffered. And for that reason alone, we're on the same level. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like at that moment, God allowed me to forgive them in a way that I couldn't have before. Not because of what they'd done to me, but when somebody else in the group in particular, had, they just really picked on somebody basically for a long period of time and mm-hmm. got pretty ugly. Um, but I, I was given a miracle of grace and I, I think this is helpful to me. It's like realize that the person who may have harmed me has also suffered and often they're harming me because they've never been able to resolve with God's grace or on their own or both the, the suffering they've experienced. It's so often what they've done. 
Yeah. He is part of a long chain of really of of other incidents that they need to forgive people right. for in their it's lives. Like people talk about generational harm. It's like yeah. And you're just chain you're just link number seven in the chain. Or whatever. Or yeah. whatever. And, really like uh, back to Adam and Eve is what we might say. You know, yeah, exactly. And and you're right about like like harboring unforgiveness only hurts the person who who won't forgive. Yeah. You know, it it's sort of like when when you forgive, it sets you free as well as the person that you're forgiving. Right? You, it's a beautiful you know, thing. And I know so we're not going to get do. too political here, but but I but I, I I'm really interested in history, including of the current conflicts, some of the famous ones that are publicized right now. It's like I've looked into into the history a bit. You can't figure it out. I've I've come to that conclusion. Like, what are the rights and wrongs? Well, obviously, well, talk about a chain of wrongs, right? On both, like on every well, side of could, every conflict, right? You could go back centuries in many yeah. cases. Mm -hmm. I will mention something because it's not. I, I don't like to talk about things in the news at, in this context. Offline, I, I would, <laughs> but uh, but I remember meeting a lot of people from the former Yugoslavia, which, by the way, was the most terrible fighting and killing in Europe since World War II till today. Um, contrary to what's said in the news these days, there were like over 100,000 people killed, civilians, innocent yeah. people. And these were people... Like so they were 1990? Through the 1990s, actually, from early 1990s to the late 1990s, it, it kind of oh, really? went through different stages. Wow. Uh, but the point is, there were like three ethnic religious groups. The Serbs, who were Orthodox Christian, the Croats, who were uh, Catholic Christian, and then the Bosnians, who were Muslim. And then there were some other groups as well. It got just really like genocidal, literally genocidal in that circumstance. But there's nobody who could ever figure that out. Like, the, what are the rights and wrongs and why do they matter in that circumstance? And I'm sorry, I know this is like at a really grand scale, but you, it comes down to a very micro level where people in it, like one individual is willing to look at another and just say, I'm willing to really hurt you a lot right now and feel like you deserve it. Like you're, you're a deserving scapegoat. Yeah. In that case, it tended to be the Bosnians who were the scapegoats for the the Catholics and the Orthodox, but not, not that they were innocent. They weren't. They, everybody was kind of, it was just horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, um, was it Chesterton or somebody that said the battle between good and evil is within the human heart or is in the center of each person, something like that? I don't know that saying. That makes sense. Yeah, that, um, you know, really, we're, we are all no different than anyone else in the sense that we can we can choose evil or choose good mm -hmm. and that's there there are it's a series of little decisions we make events in our lives and, and part, playing, part playing a part of it yeah and this this is this is kind of a pessimistic view but it's the christian view it's a view taken from the bible the, it's the catholic church's view that our human nature is wounded yeah. and and kind of tilts towards yeah inclined thin. the word is inclination right yeah and like a leaning tower, to, harm, to scapegoating, etc. Right, and a magnetic attraction. This is why the gospel is good news. Like this is the, yeah. we're talking about the journey to the cross as he's heading into this trap. That's where, no, but it's but it's a journey of mercy. Like God the Father, God the Father of Jesus is acting through all the events of this of this incident and all incidents, but through Jesus, he is bringing his mercy to bear on all of the situations we could possibly encounter. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very strong claim, but I'm making it. That's kind of, that is why we're here. It's like that all of these things are not beyond God's power. God's power is sufficient in his time 
and with our cooperation in some mysterious way. Amen. The journey of mercy, that's today's theme, and it's so important. Mm. So we all need to be set free. You need to be set free. I need to be set free. He needs to be set free. Big time. From the power of shame. Yep. And only God's grace can ultimately start to help us get on the right track again. Yeah. So thank you, Sam. Want to close this in prayer? I would love to do that. God of power and mercy, um, you are the merciful one. That's the core of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you sent us your son, Jesus, so that we would know that mercy is powerful enough to come into every single situation in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, even in our nations, that nothing is too big for you. No, no harm, no evil, no sin is beyond the power of your mercy. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, because you showed us this mercy and you brought it about on the cross where you were the innocent victim for our sin, that we were the ones pointing at you and in condemnation. And you have set us free even from the guilt of turning against you. So thank you, Jesus, that you give us power, the power to be set free from sin and shame, to start again, to make all things new, which is your promise for us, and to be new creations. And for all these things, we praise and thank you, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everybody. The journey of mercy. And we're so glad that we kind of miraculously were able to offer you this week's Thursday Night Appetizer. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you again next week, everybody. Bye. God bless you.